And please remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And while you're turning there, the children, ages 3 to 8, are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Jana this morning. This passage is in your pew Bibles on page number 979. 979, Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 5 through 9. In the 24th sermon, we're nearing the end, uh, working our way through the book of Ephesians. This is sermon number 24, and I've called this morning's sermon, Living Under Difficult Circumstances. You know, we sometimes say that, don't we? We uh, sometimes say that we survived under difficult circumstances. Or we might even say we thrived under difficult circumstances. Or we managed under difficult circumstances. Or we might compare ourselves to others or to a previous situation and look back and think about how we might uh, have lived. And we might say, well, under similar circumstances, uh, I would have done such and such or whatever. We, we all live our lives under various circumstances. You know, maybe it's as a single person, or maybe it's in a difficult marriage, or maybe it's a significant health issue, or maybe you're in a, a job you don't enjoy. We, we all live our lives under various and sundry circumstances that the Lord in His providence sends our way. Now, today's passage has a message for bond servants, and I'll talk a little bit about the difference between bond servants and servants and slaves, but most would agree that that is likely a difficult circumstance in which to live. So how do we live in our difficult circumstances, whatever they may be? Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now during this time. Enable us to behold, understand wonderful things from this, your word. We pray through Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Most of the time, we think less about how to live well under difficult circumstances. It's just natural in us as humans to want to think more about changing our circumstances. But, you know, you read your Bible and the Bible doesn't seem fixated or obsessed on the conditions in which we live our lives. Certainly, there is some uh, reference to that. But it doesn't seem fixated or obsessed with changing our circumstances. Matter of fact, just yesterday, and this 
kind of doing my little scripture memory review during my morning devotions. I came upon a verse in uh, Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 9, uh, that, that begins, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with God, the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and so forth and so on. It doesn't say a thing about circumstances. It's all that you might have a certain heart in the midst of your circumstances, that you might uh, have a certain soul that is uh, receptive to the Lord's work and that you would understand what God's will is in the midst of your circumstances. Not that they would have a better set of circumstances. And that, that passage in Colossians and what we are reading here in Ephesians chapter 6, they're teaching us the same thing. That personal and social conditions are not the primary issue in life. Living faithfully as a Christian is the primary issue in life. Now, I'm not saying, and I didn't say, that the circumstances in which we live our lives are unimportant. They are important. They're just not primary I've said it before in this pulpit, I know, at least once or twice. I'll say it again. It's a great quote from Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband in the 1950s, Jim Elliot, was killed as a missionary trying to get the gospel to folks who had never heard of Christ. What she wrote is that is simply this. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Of circumstances. Now, before I kind of expound on this, let me just take one step back and try to tackle one thing. Because if you were a bond servant in Ephesus and you become a Christian, and so you're hearing this letter read in the worship service, how would you like to hear Paul say to you as a bond servant, "Obey your masters"? <laughs> Now, the reality is, of course, we don't know how we respond. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Very different culture, different mindsets. Uh, it's impossible to really answer that. We, we just have no, no idea. But as modern Western people, certainly we see what Paul says and we think, wait, what? <laughs> he doesn't condemn outright th- this whole practice. How in the world can Paul be saying, uh, telling servants that they need to obey their masters? Does he not care about them? Does he not care about their lifestyle? Does he not care about the conditions in which they live? So let me just try to deal with that just very briefly before kind of getting back to this question. How do we live in the midst of difficult circumstances? So the question is, and you see that you you hear this sometimes from from, uh, folks. uh, I, I can't believe the Bible because it promotes slavery. Well, how can the Bible promote slavery? First of all, um, I don't agree with the broad sweep generalization that the Bible promotes slavery. To to say that is a very broad assertion and overgeneralization. It's forgetting nuance and definitions and things like that. Uh, It sounds good to say that when you want to dismiss Christianity and and try to mock the faith. You know, that's what, what... Someone who's in the, their first year of school in philosophy class might, might say to try to sound ad- educated. But there's just way too much nuance about the issue of slavery in the Bible than to simply just dismiss it and say, well, the Bible, you can't trust it. The Bible promotes slavery. I just don't agree with that assertion, that, that overgeneralization assertion. So let me give you a few things to keep in mind. First of all, a few terms. One would be slave. 
And that's what we most often think about that we encounter in the Bible, the term slave. When we think about slavery as modern American people, uh, that is that idea of just absolute total ownership by a master. But there's a second term, and it's the one that's used most often in the New Testament. And that's what we see here in Ephesians chapter 6, bondservant. And a bondservant was used for someone uh, who was bound to serve his master for a specific period of time, usually a long period of time, but not always. But it was, it was, it, uh, it, it was usually a, um, a, a time-bound thing. It had a, a more limited form of servitude um, than that of a slave. Sometimes bond servants owned property. Sometimes bond servants advanced uh, significantly socially. Um, they could even be released or purchased their freedom. And then there's another term, and that of servant, which would often have a very wide range of, of meaning, a very wide range of freedom. You could almost think about the, uh, the downstairs quarters and crew of the, the Downton Abbey series. Those would be kind of the, the servants there. So these are just a very high overview, just very brief touching on uh, some of the terms that we find in Scripture that speak to this. Now let's think about the context. It's estimated that approximately a third of the population in uh, ancient Rome, and certainly would have been the case there in Ephesus, they were either slaves or bond servants of some, of some sort. You know, that is an overwhelming number of people. That's, that's a very large percentage of a population. And they were not insignificant as a part of the family. They were an integral part of the family, which is why Paul addresses them here. Because what Paul has done is he has addressed, I've referred to it and, and you might see it at other times. Paul is talking now about household rules, how a Christian is to live his life in the home. He's already, we've already talked about husbands, we've talked about wives, we've talked about parents and children. And so now he's, he's still in the context of talking about household environments and household rules. And so it would absolutely be natural for him to address them while he's addressing family matters, because in many, many cases in the scriptures and in, in, in ancient Rome, there was uh, they were almost like family. Not always the case. Again, there are different terms and different situations. But for a Christian, in a Christian home, that would have been very likely the case. Now, you also may say it's frustrating that Paul doesn't just outright condemn slavery. And indeed, he doesn't condemn the existing system, but he doesn't really condone it either. I mean, it simply was there. It was a part of the world. It, it existed. You had to work in it. It was the law of the land. It was the practice of the culture. Slaves and bond servants, as we see here, had obviously become Christians. They, they couldn't just say, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I don't have to abide by what's going on in the culture anymore. They, they couldn't just rebel against the, the society in which they lived. So we need to remember the context, terms, context, entrance. How did someone become a bond servant, servant or slave? Multiple ways that that happened. People would ent enter into servitude uh, or slavery voluntarily. They would do that to avoid poverty, maybe. They would do that sometimes to pay off debt. And so it was many times that they're known their own initiation. Sometimes, of course, it happened by birth. Sometimes it happened by being captured in battle. 
which your choice then would either be to stay alive and be a servant or a slave of some sort or to be killed. Those would have been your options. Sometimes it was a judicial sentence. It was just a part of, in a sense, the court, uh, the, the sentence, the censor for someone who had broken the law in some way. Again, just lots of nuance to think about. And so I would encourage you to stand firm just against the, the broad sweep. Well, you can't trust the Bible. It promotes slavery. No. Last thing I'll say about it. Um, I'll just give you the word man-stealing. That, that's the, the King James Version of the word that we sometimes encounter in Scripture. The Bible condemns, forbids, prohibits man-stealing, kidnapping, to, to bring people into slavery. Uh, this, of course, is what happened when we oftentimes think about slavery, um, the 19th century African slave trade. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, He that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. That was, you were to be executed if you were stealing people and taking them and making them slaves. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 7 is another verse that speaks to that. But you even see it still in the New Testament. It wasn't just an Old Testament thing. It's still forbidden in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers. That's the phrase used in the ESV, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and what else, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So again, lots of nuance there. Don't accept just the, 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 the swift... Uh, dismissal, well, you can't trust the Bible, it promotes slavery. No, th- there's way too much nuance to, to it uh, and, and definitions and context to, to, to just dismiss it in that way. Just, I, I, again, I just don't agree with that broad sweep assertion, generalization that the Bible promotes slavery, especially the type of slavery that we think of, that we would be most familiar with as modern Western and particularly American and even the more so Southern people. But indeed, it was a part of the culture, and Paul teaches Christians to live in it, to live in less than perfect circumstances. So that leads then to the question that I really began with, and that is, how do we live our lives in difficult circumstances? I don't know what your circumstances might be this morning, but certainly we come in here every Lord's Day, every Sunday, and sometimes you've had a great week and you've got great news and other weeks you had a terrible week and you got bad news and there were difficulties and tensions and strife of various kinds. So how do we live our lives under difficult circumstances? And I'll give you four ways. First of all, submission. Submission. Which I get from verse 5 where we read, Bond servant, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, this is obviously a specific situation there in the Roman culture. Um, the closest modern day parallel for us as we think about how to relate to this would probably be our work environment where you have a, a boss, maybe, or, or you are the boss, or um, you have a, hi- a hierarchy of some sort. 
What's clear here is that submission is to be a top priority for Christians. The idea really is a carryover from chapter 5 in Ephesians, verse 21, where we see Paul charging Christians to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the, the calling that we have as Christians, is to appreciate that demeanor or that stance, submissiveness, deferring to others, considering others as more important than ourselves. A rebellious spirit really goes against many times, not always, but most of the time against, against Christian character. Fighting for my rights is not the primary fight that Christians should be engaging in. And I'm not saying that there's, uh, I'm not saying there's never a time for that. I'll address that more in a minute. And there are different spheres. Some of you have different jobs and callings to, to, to be involved in things like that. But in an, an independent, sort of revolutionary, rebellious stance that many of us sort of have as we just approach life, is not usually going to develop your soul in the sort of deep, fundamental ways that we need. An aggressive, sort of fighter demeanor is not usually the way of Christ. One of the things that... Um, it's such a joy to get to, to be a, a minister and to, um, to interact with Anton and Hunter and all the staff, you know, um, but... Uh, one of the things Hunter has said numerous times uh, about different situations, especially institutions or just sort of things that are kind of bigger than you are that you really can't fight against. He has said, you know, let it do, let it do its work on you. Let it do its work on you. Whatever the situation is, don't fight it. Let it do its work on you, which is consistent with what we read in James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Let it do its work on you is what James is saying there in James chapter 1. Now how? A question is how. How can Christians really appreciate this and let themselves be submissive to the circumstances in which God uh, places them. Well, one, you know, or well, the main thing that I want to say in answer to my own question is by seeing others, particularly those who are in authority over us, as instruments in the hands of the Lord. Seeing others as instruments in the hands of the Lord. Again, I get this from verse 5 where it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Christ is the one who's put you in this situation. Christ is the one who's allowed these circumstances in your situation. Submit to them. It's from the Lord. Submit to these people. They're from the Lord. I imagine some of you back in the 1970s and I guess it was into the 80s as well, probably went to some of the one of those Bill Gothard seminars. This was, a, this was a guy who was a conference speaker. He'd come and, you know, there'd be 20,000 people show up at the, you know, the downtown city uh, arena or whatever. And he'd speak, you know, 
for three or four hours Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and then like oh, I think I think it was all day Friday and all day Saturday, and you know people just kind of on the edge of their seats. And one of the things that I remember from him that I think is accurate is with this idea. He would talk about um, he, he would use the image of a rock that that was us being a diamond being being shaped formed and then he would have a, a, the image or a drawing or a picture there of a, of a chisel and a hammer and and he would talk about how God was the hammer using this chisel to to form us to shape us to make us more beautiful but of course that that chisel would be somebody difficult or a difficult circumstance in your life I didn't go back and try to make sure that I'm saying what he said correctly, so I, I could be off a little bit, but that's what I got from it. And that's what I'm passing along to you today. We see that these circumstances, maybe it's individuals, maybe it's a job situation, you know, whatever it might be, a health situation, we see them as the, the chisel that God is using to make us more like Christ. I read this in a commentary about this. King David had a brutal boss. While he played his harp, King Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Of course, that happened multiple times. Realizing his services were not wanted, David headed to the caves at En Gedi. Saul, in turn, gathered an army of 3,000 to chase him down. When Saul inadvertently took a nap in the very cave in which David was hiding, David's men were overjoyed. Quote, God has delivered Saul into your hand. Now you can chop off his head. Instead, David did nothing more than cut off a piece of Saul's garment. But even then, Scripture says David's heart, quote, smote him. The writer says, David shows us that he saw Saul as God's instrument in his life to produce patience, maturity, compassion, and a greater dependence upon God. Think about Paul in the book of Acts. He was certainly very wise as he related to the governing authorities and he was timely and, and wise when he played his Roman citizenship card. But he was also amazingly submissive to the strange, odd circumstances in which he found himself and you never see him complaining about it. To kick, to, to kick against the goads, which is, of course is what God said to Saul before he was Paul, to kick against the goads of God's uh, prodding in your life, it will result in difficulty. It will result in problems. It will result in chaos, dissatisfaction, more. Christians are called to submit to God, to His prodding in our lives, to to the hand that He deals us. Second, how can we live in difficult situations? Not only submit, but also, I'll give you the word, excellence. Excellence. The idea of submission, it could lead someone to being overly laid back and even apathetic. But I'm not encouraging that at all. As a matter of fact, just the opposite, which is what we see from verse 6. 
obey, of course, it says in verse 5, and then verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. If you want to shine in the midst of difficult circumstances, what you do is you ratchet up your commitment to excellence. You increase your enthusiasm. You, you recommit yourself to to excellence. I think about the way Jesus said it to his disciples when you were asked by a Roman soldier, which again, part of the law of the land, to, to carry his equipment for a mile. You go a second mile. That's the idea here. The bond servants they had there to whom Paul wrote, they were not to obey to look good outwardly, to get a pat on the back. It was done from the heart for the Lord, as if the Lord himself were there in person speaking, giving these direct commands. I wonder how many of you would be familiar with a a new workplace concept called quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is something that I've learned about recently. Let me just define it by quoting one man in one particular article on this subject. In quiet quitting, you're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life. The reality is it's not, and your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. Now, certainly that about work not being uh, your life is good, that about your worth as a person not being defined by your labor is good, but the article continues, quiet quitting is about divorcing your ego from what you do for a living and not striving for perfection, setting boundaries and simply completing the tasks you're supposed to complete within the time that you're paid to do them with no extra frills, no more kowtowing to your boss or customers, no more working nights and weekends, incessantly checking your email. Workaholism is out. Coasting is in. (laughs) Some Some of you who might employ people might... Be thinking, ah, oh, I think I know somebody who's, who's doing the quiet quitting thing. Well, Ephesians chapter 6 commands us not to coast. It reminds us that in our different, difficult circumstances, you do the exact opposite of what might be natural. You pour it on. You improve. You, you increase your zeal, your enthusiasm, your excellence. So when you're in those difficult circumstances, don't barely get by. Increase your zeal. Submit. Third, I just give you the word doctrine. I could have maybe said the word thinking. We need to think well. And I get this from, from verse 8 where, where we read, Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Now this, of course, teaches us that when we follow the Lord and we do His will, um, it, it's going to be a blessing to us. And when we're in difficult circumstances, you need to keep that in mind. Because when you're in difficult circumstances, you start to think funny thoughts. <laughs> your, your doctrine starts to get a little squirrely. Difficult circumstances will make you question yourself. What have I done to bring this on? It'll make you say, think strange thoughts about God. Why is He so mean? Why is He such an ogre? Why is He so unfair? Difficult circumstances will make you uh, become superstitious even. You know, you're... 
well, the last time uh, I went for a job interview, I, I, I wore this and it went really well. So I'm going to make sure I wear this again. Well, the fact that you wore, you know, the red shirt rather than the blue shirt didn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> Don't let's, we're not we're not superstitious as Christians. But sometimes difficult circumstances will make us think some weird things. You know, one of the erroneous beliefs out there is is this idea that if if I will believe good things are going to happen to me, then good things will happen to me. Just sort of the power of positive thinking idea. I went through a drive through um, just yesterday, actually, and there was a girl at the cash register there wearing a, an Alabama T-shirt. And so I said, so you think Alabama is going to win today? And um, she said, well, I'm going to I'm just going to think positive thoughts. You know, that's what we need to do is just be positive. And, and you know, that another way to say it, I guess, is, is to say that, you know, have I bought into the, this erroneous idea that if I'll speak blessing, then I'll guarantee blessing. If, if I'll speak positive thoughts uh, into my life, then my circumstances will change for the better. You know, you're just trying to sell yourself a dream. You're trying to convince yourself that if you have enough faith, then your circumstances will change for the better. A lot of problems with that sort of squirrely thinking. I mean, one, it places you at the center of your story. And it, and it gives you the power to change your circumstances. But even more so, at a deeper, more fundamental, fundamental level, it assumes that circumstances are the main thing to be concerned about in life. I mean, you know, the drive through lady, again, I'm, I'm not being critical of her. It's not even a 10-second conversation you're having with someone. You know, but, but what, if, what if the response is said, well, whether they win or lose, you know, I just hope they play hard and represent the state of Alabama well. Again, I'm not expecting that. It's a, it's a drive through But who's trying to compare it with the sort of thinking? Things that we say off the top of our head. Oftentimes, the things that are just right off the top of our head reveal kind of what's deep down in there. And we might think this kind of squirrely way too. Well, I've got to be positive. I'm going to say positive things. I'm going to believe positive things. And then positive, you know, circumstances will change. No. Doctrine is important when we're in difficult circumstances or else you end up with all kinds of squirrely, funny, crazy, odd thinking. Finally, last, when you're in difficult circumstances, I'll just give you the word sojourner. Sojourner, which takes us back to verse 5 where we see this phrase, earthly masters. Y'all, in difficult circumstances, we need to remember that this world is not our home. We have earthly masters, but we have a heavenly citizenship. We have a heavenly home. When we need to remember that our time here is brief, our time here is temporary, now, this world will be re- remade. We will live forever on this globe, but it will be a new globe, a, a, a refined by fire globe. And it will be our new home. This is not our permanent home. And this life is not our permanent life. We have another life waiting, another home for us. We're sojourners, pilgrims in this land. I think as the old Negro spiritual goes, we're, we're just a passing through. The story is told of an American missionary who was sailing home after spending 40 years in Africa as a missionary. 
And on the ship with him was President Teddy Roosevelt, who had been in Africa for a couple of weeks on a safari. And so the ocean liner pulls up into the docks there in New York City. Thousands of people there on the wharf cheering for him, band playing, reporters there waiting. Everyone's saying, wow, Teddy Roosevelt. He, he killed a rhinoceros. He killed an elephant. And the missionary turned to his wife and said, you know, I, I have to be honest, I'm a little bit bitter. After two weeks of big game hunting, Teddy Roosevelt receives the hero's welcome because he killed a rhino and an elephant. Yet we spend 40 years in the jungle laying down our lives to help people. And no one's here to welcome us home. To which his very wise wife said, but honey, we're not home yet. That's it. That's how we need to think if we're going to live well under difficult circumstances. We're not home yet. The way to make life better is not by trying to change the circumstances of your life. It's by being submissive in your difficult circumstances. Recognize them as gifts from the Lord. To work hard in your difficult circumstances. Excellence. To think biblically well in your difficult circumstances and to remember that this world is not our home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we indeed are not yet home. This world is not our home. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims just passing through. And it's a world filled with sin that makes life unjust and difficult. But by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit living in us, Lord, we're united to Christ. We can live with joy in an intolerable world. And I pray that you would help us stir up that joy and life in the Spirit. Enable us, Lord, to be less concerned about the conditions in which we live so that we might glorify you in difficult circumstances. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. I've got our hymn of response, number 585, Take My Life and Let It Be. I think this is a good prayer for us to pray to the Lord in light of this sermon as we go into our week. No matter your circumstances, let's stand together and sing to the Lord.
And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. time today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.